in To Kill a Mockingbird, Scout Finch reflected on her father Atticus's wise advice. He said, you never really know a man until you stand in his shoes and walk around in them. Hi, I'm Katie M. Shannon, and this is In Their Shoes, a podcast dedicated to uncovering lives that have been lost to time. My goal is to share the stories of everyday men, women, and children who didn't make it into the history books. They may have been forgotten, but now they will live again as we explore their lives and say their names. I believe that through the power of story, we can build an understanding of the past that will help heal our present and pave the way for a better future. One story at a time, one person at a time. In this episode, we commemorate the 76th anniversary of VJ Day, Victory in Japan, by continuing to walk in the shoes of Dorothy Mitten Berweger, a wife and mother holding her own on the home front while her husband served in the Pacific Theater during World War II. Dorothy Mitten was a war bride. She married Mark Berweger on January 10, 1942, just a month after the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. Dorothy was 23 years old and Mark was 22. The young couple moved after their marriage to Mark's hometown of Hanover, Pennsylvania, where Mark worked in the post office. On September 1st, 1942, Mark Berweger enlisted in the Marine Corps at Baltimore, Maryland. Dorothy was around five months pregnant with their first child when he left for basic training at Paris Island, South Carolina. Mark was receiving additional training at Camp Lejeune in North Carolina when their baby was born on January 11, 1943. They wrote Stephen on the birth certificate, but called him possum. Two months later, Mark was sent to California, where he was set to depart for the Pacific. He was assigned to Battery E, 2nd Battalion, 14th Marine Regiment, 4th Marine Division. PFC Mark Berweger and his unit left California for the Pacific on January 13, 1944. Dorothy must have had a chance to visit him prior to his shipping out because as her husband braved the treacherous waters of the Pacific, Dorothy realized she was expecting their second child. During the course of her pregnancy, she cared for one-year-old Possum and did her best not to be overcome with worry as Mark saw action month after month. In January and February, he was part of the amphibious marine landings in the Marshall Islands, including the marine attack at Roy Namor. He survived the Battle of Saipan in June and July. While Mark endured the violence and brutality of war far from home and family, Dorothy wrote him every single day. When he wrote back, he called her Mitten, the baby possum, and the baby-to-be, Swifty. These whimsical nicknames helped provide some cheer and comfort in the midst of separation and worry. Now we will hear from Dorothy in her own words. She's still in a hospital, recovering from giving birth to her second child. She mentions the complex emotions and different reactions people have to husbands and sons being in a war zone, the loneliness and longing she has for her husband, and religious conflict within the family. Though she does not state it outright, she doesn't have to. Mark would know this detail about himself and would not need to be told so in a letter. The Burwagers were Jewish, and Dorothy came from a Catholic family. She was determined 
that this difference wouldn't come between them or cause tension in the family. Note that she frequently uses the term hepped up, slang at the time for agitated or stirred up. Dorothy mentions an article in Life magazine about the Battle of Saipan, in which Mark's regiment took part. American warships in the Pacific had to travel almost 4,000 miles back to Hawaii every time they needed new supplies. Taking Saipan would make these long journeys unnecessary and help America win the war. But victory would come at a high cost. The Japanese army was able to hide in the rough terrain there and in caves, causing the battle to last almost a month. Mark would have seen and possibly experienced suicide attacks from Japanese forces, as well as mass suicides of civilians. One of the pictures Dorothy would have seen in that article was of American troops rescuing a tiny baby left in a cave full of dead bodies. She viewed this only days after giving birth to her own baby. She had to have thought, why is my husband having to witness this horror when he should be at home with his own wife and baby? The images in Life magazine were chilling. The thought of her beloved Mark enduring such a thing both angered and appalled Dorothy. Dorothy makes it clear in other letters that she is still recovering from the traumatic birth of her second son. Her mortality, and implicitly that of her husband's, is on her mind. She also expresses a frequently um, held belief that Marines and other soldiers on the Pacific front had a harder time and faced a more terrifying enemy than their counterparts in Europe. What we hear today as prejudice must be viewed through the lens of a wife whose husband's life is in danger and who has been influenced by radio, newspaper, and magazine accounts of her time. Dorothy just wants the Japanese to surrender and the war to be over so that her husband can be home and they can finally be a family. Dorothy's letters highlight the differences between postpartum care in the 1940s and today. She's also fearful of exposing her infant to the whooping cough, which her two-year-old has. As a mother, she's torn between both of her very young children and doesn't have a husband present who can stay with one while she protects the health of the other. A stressful situation is made even more so by the absence of her husband. Fortunately, she has family to help her, particularly her sister, Laura. Dorothy experiences the important bond and support shared by women left behind during wartime through her mother-in-law, mother, sister, and Mark's grandmother. She describes to her husband the growth and milestones of their oldest child, a mere baby when Mark left, and the appearance and personality of the baby he has yet to meet. She talks of the future and, despite her fears, tries to sound confident that Mark will return home. So here are the letters written by Dorothy Borweger in October of 1944. October 9th, 1944. Good evening, honey. Since we are having our evening visiting hour, I figure I'll take a visit with you. I may have written earlier, but I practically had to get down on my hands and knees for one of these gals to refill my pen. But you know how it is trying to get service in this joint. There's one thing I wish I had up here, and that's a good book. I've read so many magazines, I'm tired of turning pages. Today, Laura did me a lovely favor. She forwarded me two of your letters. Honey, I imagine you have an idea just how glad I was to get those jobs. They were for the 23rd and 25th. I got the 24th last Monday and had been wondering all week just what had made you so mad at your mother. The first couple times she came up here, she acted kind of funny, but I didn't know what it was all about. But that has worn off now. 
You're kind of right about her attitude. She seems to look only at the bitter side of most things. Like Sunday night, she mentioned the fact that she had seen some cannery man's son out in front of their home, all four of them still there. She said only a mother notices those things, no one else. And I answered, lots of people do hurt. They just don't mention it. The way I figure, honey, it's going to be a long war. Some people have always gotten the breaks and always will. So I'm going to try from here on in to make the time go quickly and as happily as possible by caring for our babies and being content in what I have. You're perfectly right when you mention the fact that Piney, and that goes for me too, has family and friends. It's just that sometimes no one, not one person in the world can fill the gap you leave, and it's hard to appreciate what we have. But what I want to do is raise our boys and give them a good start. And in that, I am lucky because I'll have the money to get them the foods they should have and the time to spend in teaching them. I'll gladly give them all, give them my all now. But when you come home, they no longer will get the front seat. I kind of want to be up there with you, you know. Oh, gosh, honey, but I'm so nuts about you. A part of your letter brought tears in my eyes, not tears of sadness, tears of memories of such things, if there is if there is a thing like that. You're mentioning the night you told me you loved me really brought back that night in full. And I just laid here thinking, what a wonderful memory. I felt that night, I had the world at my fingertips and I've never changed my way of thinking yet. As long as I have Burwager's love, I have the most wonderful gift a girl could ask for. We've never been unhappy or disappointed in each other. All our happiness has been caused by things beyond all our unhappiness has been caused by things be beyond our control. And I think that means that we have a darn good chance of being a happy married couple. When you mentioned the first time you kissed me after we started back together, gee, honey, I'd been wanting your arms around me and a kiss from those lips for such a long time and fighting so hard not to show it that when it actually happened, I was just about speechless. But I believe all our troubles we thrashed out before marriage, which is the way it should be. Now all we must do is wait until we can again resume our life together. You asked me in the letter the 25th if anyone at home ever tries turning on any pressure as far as religion is concerned. I can truthfully answer no. Mother, since Buddy's death, is very religious, and though she talks about such stuff a lot, I feel sure she'd be saying the same thing whether I was in the room or not. It isn't for my benefit. There's only once in a while when religion is a kind of awkward subject, and that you probably never thought of. Once in a while on Sunday morning, when everyone goes out to church, Possum, of course, cries to go bye-bye in the car. Ronnie always wants to know why we can't take him. Laura always answers, he is too little, or he wasn't ready, or something. We, uh, after the boys are in bed, have discussed the matter. She says Ronnie knows of only one religion, and to try to get his childish mind to grasp the whole scoop about other religions would be a tough job. So as long as it's possible to steer clear of that subject around the kids, to Ronnie, and not long from now to Butch, it's just the most natural thing in the world for them to expect Possum to be raised in the Catholic Church. So we just leave it slide. And then when you come home and we come to Hanover, everything will straighten out as they grow older and broader in mind. No, darling, I have no pressure put on me. I think mother knows her daughter pretty well. I don't believe I quite feel the way Dell's wife feels either. It didn't take arguments to make me good and mad and take the step I did. No, I wasn't even disgusted. I only knew I wanted you and your love, and that was the only reason. 
Remember the month you gave me, or I took, no matter which, that month I just thought and thought of one thing mainly? If after I married you, would I sometimes become afraid of death, afraid of what I believe God will do to punish me for putting a worldly desire before this love? So far, that answer has been no, too, and Berwager never let it be said. When a woman brings a baby into the world, she is as close as she will ever be until uh, to death until she does die. Now, darling, I am going to close a su- such a subject. I think we've had enough for now. If there's anything else that you're wondering about, I'll answer to the best of my ability. For tonight, I'll close loving you with all my heart. Always. Mitten, possum, swifty. P.S. Somehow, I'm not sure Sydney's nickname will stick. October 10th, 1944. Dearest Berwager, it's getting fairly close to visiting hours, so I'd best get busy with this letter to my honey. We have Lowell Thomas on the radio, and he's all hepped up over the ultimatum given to a German city. It makes me think of the difference in fighting the Germans and the Japs. A flag of truce on that side does have a meaning, and therefore those guys are fighting humans. Whereas a flag of truce to the Japanese would be a good chance for them to pull a trick. A girl in this ward had a life of August 28th, and I saw those pictures on Saipan you told me to look up. Boy, honey, how any of you guys could come out of such a thing is a miracle. Oh boy, oh boy, am I one happy girl. Mother was here and brought me seven letters from my honey. Letters from the 26th through the 1st. Honest, honey, I don't know when I ever enjoyed anything so much in all my life. If I hadn't been up here, they would not have been the least bit funny, but some of the advice and some of your worries were kind of late. One thing really hit at the right time, though. That was your advice on watching my balance when I got out of bed in the first time. It so happens that tomorrow I get out of this bed, and after what happened the last time, I'm a slight bit nervous, you know. I'm not afraid of the faint. It's the embarrassment of being a cream puff that's got me all hepped up. I know this time I'll get a a ragin because one nurse will really ride me. Her name is Kramer. I don't know if that's spelled right or not. She is a little short, dark-haired girl, sweet as heck. It's the one who likes the baby so much. Anyway, she's been running around here all day saying, tomorrow she'll take it easy. Burwager is going to do her work. Will my face be red? It seems a shame you had to worry so needlessly for over a week, but nothing could be done about it. I hope you received your mother's letter about the same time you did mine that I wrote that Monday night. Because I'll admit, right that night, I was beginning to wonder myself just what was wrong with me. I knew something was. I imagine the whole trouble I had was caused by the fact that Swifty was laying in the wrong position. I don't believe I mentioned that I also had a a lot of extra water. Every pain was followed by gushes of it. Dr. Y said he'd never seen so much liquid in one person in his life. So I guess water was a lot of all those proportions I had. Paul is in France. So is Nookie. Nookie's buddy that he has been with ever since the start was killed recently. I don't remember the name. Mother's main information concerned Possum and Butch's health, which, incidentally, is in pretty poor shape. It, the whooping cough for sure, is now in the throwing up stage, and they are both pretty sick. Oh, gee, honey, but I hate to take this baby home while this stuff is there. Dr. Wise claims he can't get it before three months, but there's always a chance they can, especially since I've never had it either, and I figure I can't give the baby an immunity that I don't have. There's always something to spoil a perfectly good occasion, you know. I'm not complaining. In fact, I just say I'm kind of urinated off and such luck and such plain mad. There's the house in good shape, everything ready for the baby. No worries about food or fuel, 
In fact, everything is perfect as possible for the circumstances. And then whooping cough to show up at such a time. But it won't do me any good to get mad. That won't help a bit. But can't you just imagine me putting Sydney up in the room and keeping those kids out or try to imagine me staying away from possum for months? Gosh, honey, but I wish I could talk this over with you. I may as well shut this talk off or I will have myself out of the human I was I was in when I was thinking, reading your letters, because, darling, they are the brightest spot in my life. Your concern over my health and all that stuff you were telling me to do and not to do made tears of gratefulness come into my eyes because I have such a wonderful husband. So, see, I guess I'm just a person of a million moods for cursing and being mad because I get a bad break, then thankful to God for giving me such a husband and two sons. I guess when you look at it that way, the luck far outruns the bad luck. It's just that if anything would happen to little Sydney, because, honey, I'm just as proud of this second son as the first. He is a deer and so different from Possum. You should see his legs, real long, and feet, big as possums are now, and limber. His little head just sags and rolls all over the place. If I pick up his arm and let it go, he just lets it plop as if it were lifeless. Once in a while, he'll grin in his sleep, and that's when you could just squeeze the stuffings out of him. His navel cord is off already, and it's just about healed. That dimple in his chin will stay, I think, but not very deep like my husband's. Now, darling, it is very, very late. Our door is closed to the hall, or else long ago the lights would have gone out. I love you, darling. I love you oh so much. Always yours. Possum, Mitten, Swifty. P.S. Can't decide how to sign our names now. October 11th, 1944. Hiya, honey. How's my honey today? You know I keep wondering if you were still in the hospital on the 3rd. Your mother has just been here for visiting hours. She was all hepped up at first, but the last of the visit wasn't so nice. Kind of reminded me of the letter I wrote you last night, starting out in high humor and ending up sour. This afternoon, Hangle was up. She gave the baby a dear little romper suit of white and blue knit. I have a big notion to let him go in it, to go home in it. Judd is expecting a furlough soon. She also gave me the dope on Glenn Markle. He's in the Marine Band at PI. How about that? She's beginning to get a little bigger now and is starting to show. She said, send up the maternity clothes. How much do you want for them? Of course, I won't take anything. After all, I only gave her $2 for them, and I certainly got my money's worth. Well, darling, would you care to hear how your wife made out? I did swell, all except... To one leg that every time I put my weight on it really hurts. I think I just have my muscles strained and they are stiff or something. Back on the delivery table I kept one leg flat and one leg propped and I imagine that's the reason. Outside of that everything was okay. No swoons or the feeling my insides were falling out. In fact the girl I got up with pulled the same thing I did last time and I attended to her. Aren't you just as proud of me as can be? Dr. Wise finally made out the birth certificate. You should have heard him when I said Sydney Delmar. He said, what a name, and laughed and laughed. So tomorrow ends this little visit. I've just about half decided to go over home for a while. Then I can see Possum, but I'll just make him stay away from Sydney. Maybe I'll do that. I asked Dr. Wise again today, and he said Sydney wouldn't take it. I still think it's better not to take a chance. Say, darling, you know what? I love you. Oh, golly, honey, do I? Tonight you seem very close. I keep remembering the time you stood out in the hall that Sunday morning. Sure would be nice if I could look look up and you'd be there again. 
Then I remember the day we brought Possum home and all that proud feeling we had. Gee golly, honey, but you're nice. I have so many happy memories to recall. We were darn lucky in a way. Some kids have very few memories to fill in lonely hours with. I love you, honey, and dream only of the time you return. What a time. Always Mitten and the Boys. October 12th, 1944. Hi, my, fun, my, hi, my honey. Honey, I guess you'd better be warned that all these letters are coming late and it isn't the mail system this time. I still have two letters in my box. I wrote at the hospital and I'm writing this one and I know I haven't got a chance of getting stamps until tomorrow, but I'll write them and hope you find them in interesting reading. I know I sure like to write you, honey. My hands play out much quicker than my head, but it won't be long now until they cooperate again. I couldn't help but think of the difference in this hospital leaving at that at that other one we stopped out at grandma's and she gave me a quilt it is white with blue binding and stitching and is washable it isn't f as fancy as possums because you just can't buy silk but i appreciate this one as much as i do the other incidentally honey i kind of like grandma you know i told you once before i had no grandma and you said i could have yours and it's one of the nicest gifts you've ever given me she is one sweet little lady. Coming down the road, Booty gave me some dope on whooping cough cases she knew of, and so did Kitty. One was a child of six weeks getting this stuff. Anyway, the closer I got to Westminster, the more I began to be afraid to take Sydney in the house. So I got Booty to take me around home. Everything was ready for me at Laura's and Mother's, and Mother was house cleaning here, all windows and doors open. I gave her Sydney, and she took him on in, and I went on around to see Possum. Honey, after today, I just can't realize how you'll feel when you see Possum. He just looks so darn good to me. He was just coming down the steps after his nap, and Laura was holding him. Well, I was so glad to see him, I just cried and cried, and then he wouldn't come to me. He looked at me so funny and kept backing up that it was really funny, so there I stood laughing and crying until Possum ran away into the kitchen. I stayed for supper, and then Dad brought me back around, but the little fart wouldn't kiss me, but he did start calling me Mommy and talking to me, even crawled up on the couch with me, but just wouldn't stand for any mushing. Laura went downtown and did all the shopping you did last time, but first she came around to see Sydney. Honey, wasn't I the gal who was going to take everything easy? That's a lie. Tonight I walked up our front porch steps, and I'll walk upstairs to bed and down in the morning. It's impossible to sleep down here, but that's all the step walking I'll do for two weeks, twice a day. Mother will do my washing, come down and get my bottles during the night, but there's plenty I'll have to do. But these two weeks can't get over fast enough so I can be over with possum sometimes. Honey, if you ever hear me fuss Laura, slap my mouth because a girl couldn't have a better sister. Honest, she really has her hands full. Butch is much sicker than Possum, as he hasn't had any shots at all. But with both those guys to tend to, beside Ronnie, she looks all worn out. First she's up with, with one at night, then the other starts. She really loves Possum, and is as good as can be to him. You have only to see how he loves her to know that. Now, honey, I'm going to feed the baby and then go to bed. Even though I haven't room in these letters for much romantic talk, honey, you can bet I love you with all my heart and think of you endlessly. But I've an idea, I'll be a busy woman for a while, and at night when I hit the bed, it's then that I'll dream of you and our love.
always there and someone to give all these days a meaning. Oh, gee, Berwager, but I love you so much. I'm a lucky girl to have a husband and two sons. I figure it's worth a little work and worry, and I'm ready for it. Just you keep on loving me, darling, and life is fine. Forever, Mitten, Possum, Sydney. Dorothy was a busy woman for quite a while. Though I'm sure she wrote to Mark, my personal collection doesn't have another one of her letters until February. That's where we will pick up with when we have our next visit with her. In the meantime, if you would like to hear the first episode with um, Dorothy when she gives birth to her child and writes to her husband about it, you can scroll back to an, the earlier episode and have a listen at that. And it will help um, with understanding Dorothy's story and the continuity of the narrative. Thanks for listening to episode eight of In Their Shoes. I hope you enjoyed Dorothy's story. This is just the beginning of our walk with the Burwagers. There will be many more episodes featuring Mark and Dorothy, and please visit back um, in, in the episodes to find the first episode featuring Dorothy so that you can really understand the whole story and what's going on. Dor Mark and Dorothy Burwager, their letters are part of my personal archives, a collection I treasure and hope to use in a book one day. When the project is complete, I intend to donate them to the National World War II Museum here in my hometown of New Orleans, Louisiana. I've been a professional historian for 16 years. Each story I tell is extensively researched using primary source documents. If you're interested in more of my work, you can find me at www.katymshannon.com. That's K-A-T-Y-M-S-H-A-N-N-O-N. Or follow me on Instagram at Author. That's Katie with a Y. Also, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single story. And feel free to leave a review. I would love to get some feedback. And please know that um, I am thinking of all the veterans today who served in World War II, particularly in the Pacific. Thank you for your service. We appreciate you and we honor you. See you next time when we put on a new pair of shoes and walk around in them. Thank you.